Well, good to have you all here tonight. We are over in 1 Kings chapter 16, finishing up chapter 16, also going into finishing up chapter 17. Last time we looked at six different kings that came through very quickly in the northern tribes. Uh, last, uh, last one was Omri, who is Ahab's father. This time we're going to be spending a lot more time on one particular king, as we said it before, but uh, to get a whole lot more detail on Ahab, not because Ahab was such a special guy, but because Elijah was in his life. And we, we uh, want to know the things that happened with Elijah. And Elijah deals with kings. There are some prophets that are sent to kings. There are some prophets that are sent to the nation. There are some prophets that are sent to other folks. But uh, most of the ones we see in the Word of God are ones that are sent to the nation or ones that are sent to the kings. And this is one of those, uh, one of those prophets who, who does that. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah... Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. We're hearing this a lot. Sin just keeps getting worse. We think today, well, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, it was back that time, too. It's, uh, it's getting worse and worse, and evil just seems to build on top of the evil that was before it. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. What it's saying is, as bad as everything is that Jeroboam did, it was a small thing for him to do it. It wasn't a big deal. That he took his, his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now, Baal is used often. The word there for, for Baal, I think I put that in your, in your outline there, uh, Lord and Master is what it means. And just because you see Baal mentioned in the Old Testament does not mean it's the same God. Baal is used very often, but it's used for different gods. It's basically talking about the national guard, uh, national god of some foreign country. It is used often. This particular Baal is the god of the Sidonians because Jezebel is the one who brings it over, and that's where she's from. So this particular one, I believe I put it in your outline there for you. No, I didn't. I had to take cut it out. This particular one is Melkarth, M-A-L-K-A-R-T-H. Melkarth, he's the, uh, the Baal of the Sidonians. He also required child sacrifices. There were uh, several of them that, that did that. Some of them were more familiar with, but this particular Baal required child sacrifices. So they worshipped the golden calves, but they also brought in this particular Baal that, all, that uh, sexual immorality was involved. Uh, child, can you imagine that? Worshipping a God, leaving Jehovah God for a God who requires you to bring your children in as a, as a sacrifice and to kill them. And there was a number of gods in the Old Testament who, who required that, and, and, they, um, and they did it. We look at the things in the, in the Christian church that go on, and we think, well, people aren't coming, because, or aren't coming to God because uh, he's too demanding, or, you know, there's tithing, or, there's, or uh, you know, you've got to get up for church on Sunday morning, or all these different things. Folks, <laughs> it makes no difference. Because people will do far more incredibly horrible things. I just saw the, the report up there about the, the group over there in ISIS and as they worship their God and the things that they're doing. I saw 74 children they, they put to death. I don't know if that's a total or if that just was recently. But uh, 74 kids. They uh, had lined them, lined them up in front of a mass grave and just shot them and, and that's their worship. And we think Christianity is harsh? Hmm. It is It is something. But anyway, this is the ones that they, they brought in. Now, up until now, 
Israel, uh, remember when Jeroboam first came in, he, he corrupted the worship of Jehovah. He still said we're worshiping Jehovah, but we corrupted it. We brought in our own feast days. We brought in our own priests. We brought in the two golden calves and so forth. And then we saw that other idolatrous worship came in as well. But Jehovah was still worshipped. There were still those in the country who still worshipped the true God in the true way. But they didn't leave. A lot of them left for the southern part, but not all of them did. Some of them stayed behind. Up until now, up until I have, as far as we can tell, it has been legal to worship Jehovah. Under Ahab, it becomes illegal. And people are put to death because they worshipped Jehovah. It's the first time that you'll see that in the, in the northern kingdoms. But uh, you remember that Jezebel put, together, put to death how many prophets of Jehovah? That's just the prophets that we're talking about, but there were others as well. And um, Persecution of the true worship of Jehovah came under Ahab. That's why it says that he did the sins of Jeroboam. It was a small thing. It's trivial compared to all the stuff that he did. This is the bad king. And Ahab, uh, oh, that we didn't go verse 32, I don't think, right? Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So he built a temple for this, this God as well. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So you take all the kings that were before, the six we just went over last time, and uh, the, the ones before that, add them all up, and Ahab is greater as far as the evil that he did and the stuff he did to get God really mad. <laughs> In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Remember the prophecy when they, took, when they conquered Jericho and they tore it down? Prophecy was given that whoever rebuilds this city, they'll rebuild the, as it says there, pretty much it's identical. He, he rebuilds the foundation, the death of his firstborn, and his youngest will, will die when they set up its gates or the, the walls. That was a prophecy that was in the book of Joshua, and it comes true here. Now, under this, this uh, regime, under Ahab, the atmosphere is such that even though God prophesied this, we don't care. And we will do it. Now, whether he sacrificed them to one of the gods when he was doing this, or whether they just died, whatever, nothing like, uh, no details is given of this. But the way that it's written in here, it seems to be a, a um, prophecy. Remember, but remember, God's not in the business of, of killing people. He doesn't go out there to kill, especially ch- children who had nothing to do with it. God's not sitting up there saying, all right, as soon as you do it, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to kill it. That, that's, not, that's not our God. He doesn't take kids. Even though a lot of times they say, you know, well, these things happen, God just took them. That's not, uh, that's not our God. That's not what he's doing. But somehow these, ch- these children died at these things. Well, you, God is warning you, if you do this, you are opening yourself up. This is what will happen. And the warning was given. They decided to go against the warning. And, uh, yeah, if you go against the warning, you know, if you're working with electricity and the warning label is on, don't connect these two things. And you go ahead and connect them. Whose fault is it that you die? God didn't take you. Anyway. According to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So there's the prophecy that was done. In verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. 
Now we go through the, the rest of this, we find out that it's three years from the time that he gives the command, or he gives this word, until rain falls. Three years. But if you go over to Luke's Gospel in chapter 4, I'll put the reference in your outline for you. It is that Jesus quotes this, this uh, the, or talks about this time period, and he says that the, fam, or the drought lasted for three and a half years. So why is it three years in the Old Testament and three and a half years in the New? It's simple. By the time that Elijah comes along and announces this, the drought has already been going on for six months. And he's just coming along to say, it's not, it's not only has it not rained, it's not going to rain. But notice what he says here. I love his wording. As the Lord God of Israel lives, so he's given the, the, the um, credit here to the Lord, before whom I stand, I am a servant of the Lord, the God of God Jehovah. There shall not be dew nor rain these years Except that what? He does not say the word of God. He says that my word. That means Elijah's word. It's not going to happen. Now we know, you know, folks know the stories. We're, usually we're covering stories in Kings that we don't get to see very often. This is one of the stories that people do go over quite often. We've gone over a number of times here. It's not uh, unusual for us to be familiar with this one. But we know that Ahab gets mad at Elijah and he wants to kill him. What happens if you kill Elijah? He's not going to be around to speak the word. He's not going to be around to speak the word. Now, he's not trying to say that my word is so powerful. Look out for me. He is the voice of Jehovah God. And he's basically saying, you guys are not in communication with God. And they weren't. They weren't trying to be in communication with God. Elijah was. He was the voice of, of that. And Elijah is basically saying, until God tells me, it ain't going to happen. And then we find out later on, we're going to get more into the story as, as time goes. We're going to see Elijah, even though he had the word from God, says, all right, go and tell him now it's going to rain. And so he goes, and Elijah's word is it's going to rain. He still has to go away and pray, doesn't he? He prays once, sends the guy, what happens? Nothing. Twice, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. Until finally there's a little cloud in the sky. Elijah had to pray. And the New Testament tells us that it's his fervent prayers that, that brought that about. Now we'll get into this as we get down the road. We get to that part of the story. Why is it, if it's the will of God, do we have to pray? Why would that be? We're not going to get into that tonight because that's not the story here tonight. That's for things to come. But if God wants it to rain, why do we have to pray? Here's the other part. How many times did he go and pray? Seven times. If it's the will of God, why doesn't it work on the first time? All right, that's just for things that are coming up. That's enough for tonight. We'll get there. It's just, like I told you, it's a... <laughs> but anyway, there's a, those are the... Are those questions that you would like to get answers to? Yeah, well, there's plenty more in here that we're going to get answers to. And we're going to work on these guys here for right now, but... Anyway, accept that my word. So we just have to get into that because this is, what he, this is why he's saying it. But there's a whole lot more involved with it. He is not elevating himself. He's first off in that, that, that word he's given. He's elevating God. These folks have, have de-elevated God. He is elevating God. He's shown himself, I am a person of God. I am under God. I am sent by God. But let me tell you this. Until I tell you, it ain't going to rain. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. So he says, I don't want you anywhere around. I want you to go. 
I don't want them to be able to find you. Because <laughs> you know they're all going to be looking. We know from the rest of the story, they were looking for him. They couldn't find him. They want to get him. They want to maybe torture him or do something. Get him to say it's going to rain. And he says, look, I don't want you anywhere around here. I want, I want you to go away. So get away from here. Turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows from the, into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. The ravens, if you don't know, this is an unclean bird. He's not going to eat the ravens, but they're going to bring the, the food to him. And, and it will be that you should drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while, the brook dried up because, he had no, uh, because there had been no rain in the land. So the ravens are bringing food. Here's the question. Where are the ravens getting food? What are they, what are they bringing? What, is it, what are they bringing? Bread and meat. When was the last time you saw a raven in the kitchen? They don't make bread, right? Ravens do not make bread. They don't cook meat. So how is it that the ravens, every day, in the morning, in the evening, are bringing bread and meat? It's a simple solution. It's a simple thing. Part of the worship of one of the idols... And it might even been Baal, I forget which one, but part of the worship to one of the idols that Ahab practiced was they set out a table for their God to eat. And the birds would descend upon it and carry it away. So what God says is, I'm going to take the food that Ahab is feeding to his God. I'm going to send ravens. They're going to go get it. But they're going to not just take it someplace else and eat it themselves. They're going to bring it here to you. <laughs> so he is taking food from the man who wants to kill him and he and Ahab is basically feeding Elijah. Amen. <laughs> Why should we be afraid of people when they make a stand against God? God will use what they're doing to help you. Amen. <laughs> so this is where the ravens are getting it. They set it out twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. When are the ravens bringing the food? In the morning and in the evening. So they just descend upon the table, pick the stuff up, bring it over here. Elijah, we got stuff for you. I'm sure that the ravens were allowed to eat something too. You know. <laughs> but uh, they, they brought it over here to Elijah first. Elijah got his pick and then you know, he may have left some stuff out there and he's drinking water from the brook. That's all, all real fine. Now there are those people in the land beside Elijah. There are others. Remember Elijah goes out to the cave? We're, we're jumping ahead all kinds of things. But Elijah goes out to the cave and he's, he's all tired. He's all worn out and he says you know just take me it's all over and and god says look elijah i got seven thousand other people in the land that have not bowed the knee that's after they've already killed a bunch of them i got seven thousand people in the land who haven't bowed the knee seven thousand people in the land plus the ones that he that that were killed that have not bowed to Baal or entered into false worship god says they're there who does the drought affect Everybody, even the righteous. The drought came upon them all. They were not involved in bringing Israel into the sin. They were not involved in the sin. But still, they were affected by the drought. I imagine that God did something to take care of them. We just have Elijah's the one in the story. The other ones are, are out there as well. We find out uh, later on that some of these folks had uh, stepped out and taken care of some of the the prophets and some of the people helped to, to spare them. But anyway, we're still jumping ahead on the, 
on the story. But they were all they were all in the same drought. Even they though they hadn't served the foreign gods, even though they kept serving the, the Lord God, though they did not share in the guilt, they were under the same drought. Now God led him to a place with provisions, but over time, what happens to the provisions? Verse 7 again, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, besides food, I mean, the ravens may still be bringing you food, but um, you need water. The ravens were bringing the water. The brook was to bring the water. How many of you ever been to a place and God led you to a place and you know God led you to the place and then all of a sudden the provisions that were there at that place were gone? God led them to a place with provisions but over time, they dried up. I put this in your outline for you. I want to make sure you got this. God's provision is not in a place, but in his command. This is not the first time we put this in an outline for you. It's like the third or fourth. We need to get this down. God's provision is not in a place, but in his command. No matter where you are, if you do what God says... His provisions will follow. Here's some examples for it. Israel was in the wilderness. God's provision fell from the sky in the form of manna, but it did not come to a place. Where did it come? Where they were. And they followed the voice of God. When God says the cloud got up, when the pillar of fire moved, they moved with it. That was the command of God to move. So wherever they moved to, That's where the manna was. If you ventured off from the group and you went to another place, there's no manna out there. He didn't didn't send it wherever the children of Israel was. He sent it to where they were supposed to be. Provision is not in a place. It's in His command. The feeding of the 5,000 falls in the same thing too. There's nothing in that place. They were in that place because they were getting the Word of God. It's in His command. Put this in your outline for you. The enemy often distracts us. It distracts us by focus, focusing on the wrong issue. He distracts us. He distracts our focus by getting us on the wrong issue. We sometimes focus on the business that we work for. We sometimes focus on the economy that we live in. We sometimes focus on the place. But God doesn't want us to focus on that. He says, focus on my commands. So when you're in a place and it seems like following the commands of God is unpopular, uncomfortable, still do whatever the Word of God says. Because when you follow His commands, what does He do? He comes through. He comes through. It may look bleak. <laughs> We've had times in the Bible where it looked kind of bleak. They were following the, the Lord's commands and they got thrown into places and threatened with death and thrown in fire furnaces and all sorts of stuff. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Where does his wife come from? Ahab's wife come from? She's a Sidonian. So she comes from? So basically God says, I'm going to send you to her home country. Right? I'm going to hide you in the home country, country of the person who brought this Baal worship in. <laughs> what a place to go. And go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Again, God's command. We might be focusing on the place. Why would I want to go to Sidon? That's not, why not go to Judah? 
I'd rather go to Judah. And God says, no, I want you to go to Sidon. So that's where you need to go. So he rose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself, my son, that we may eat it and die. <laughs> not a whole lot of hope there, is it? She's not real, real hopeful. Now, we're in a drought. Apparently, this area is affected by the drought as well. There's no water. But he says, go get me some water. And what does she do? She's got to go home to get the water. She's not by the gate. She's not by the house. She's not by the gate. She's going to go home and get some water and bring it back for him. In a drought. So, apparently, that wasn't testing her faith. So, what does he do? He ups the ante. Mm-hmm. And we've got to up this a little bit. All right, if, if that was okay, if that was not a big deal, we've got to push this a little bit more. Tell you what, while you're there at the house, bring me something to eat. <laughs> now, a lot of times we look at the story and say, what's this big, bad old man who's been provided? He's been eating fat on the... You know, he, he's been eating... From, got all this food coming in. He's got bread and meat and all sorts of... She's got hardly anything. They're, they're scrimping. They're saving. They're trying to get a little bit out each day. And now they're going to make their last meal. And he who just came from all the bread and all the meat he could eat because the ravens are bringing it, get me something to eat. <laughs> and he's not even getting up to go to her house. <laughs> he says, go on over there, get it, bring it on back here to me. <laughs> so, um, now this pushed her a little bit too far. Now, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. <laughs> I only got enough for one more cake and, you know, I'm making that for my son and I and we're going to have our last meal and then we're going to eat it. Then we're going to die. And, and that's all it is. And he says, oh, man, I didn't know it was this bad for you. If I knew it was this bad, I would have given you some of the bread I had in my pocket. He doesn't do it, does he? He doesn't do it. You see, because a lot of times we have been corrupted by the world's thinking. And we think those who have abundance should give to those who don't. Isn't that right? And we all have that thinking. Is that biblical thinking? It's not. We, we think of it as kindness. Now, I'll take you to a New Testament example. Jesus is sitting at the back of the temple. At the back of the temple, they have the container where they take the offering. And you walk on by and you put the offering in, right? So he's sitting back there. And what's the Word of God say that he's doing? Watching the people put their offering in. Now, <clears throat> There's no checks. They don't have checks back then. What are they doing? What are they putting in? Coins. Coins make noise. You get around coins enough, you know what you're putting in by the sound of the, 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 the noise that they make. So he's watching all these people come by, and this one, clink, 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 clink. Somebody else comes by, clink, 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 clink. Right? And then here comes the little widow woman, clink. Clink. Right, that's it. And then it's a smaller thing. You know, if you drop a penny, it makes one sound. If you drop a quarter, it makes a different sound. If you drop, if you have, have one of those uh, dollar bill coins, it makes a different sound yet. Bigger sound. Little penny, little tiny sound. So she's got two little tiny sounds compared to all those 
big sounds and multiple sounds. Two little times. What's Jesus say? Oh, you poor woman. You know what? You shouldn't be putting anything in the offering. You hardly have anything as it is. You should just take that home. And what does he do? He said, y'all see that? Y'all see that? She gave more than all the rest of them. And he let her give it, didn't he? He let her give it. What about the woman who came and spent all that money on that uh, costly perfume and spilled it out on his feet? What's he say? You know what? You need this money more than I do. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, yeah, go ahead. He says, go. Why? Because, folks, no matter how poor or how rich you are, if you don't sow, you don't reap. That's how it is. If you only have a little and you can only sow a little, sow what you can. Because how you are with a little is how you will be with a lot. That's how. Remember the story that, that goes, you know, the, the, the guy who was making, making $50,000 a year, he's tithing on it, tithing on it, and God increased him. And he got $100,000 a year. And uh, tithing on it, tithing on it, God increased it. $500,000 a year he was making. Tithing on it, tithing on it, giving it offerings. And made it, got it out to a uh, million dollars a year he was making. He came to the pastor and he says, Pastor, he says, I need you to pray for me. He says, I need to get wisdom from God. I don't... I, I, there's, there's no way, no way that I can tithe on a million dollars. I just can't give $100,000 like that. And so he said, I'll pray with you. That's, that's all I'll pray. So he prayed. Father God, let's pray. Bring him back down. <laughs> Bring his salary back down to where he can tithe again. <laughs> of course, he stopped them in that prayer. How you are with a little is generally how you're going to be when you have a lot. A lot of times we like to say, well, if, once I get more money, I'll, I'll give more, I'll do more. Now, be faithful. Do what God tells you to do with what you got. Just, just do what God tells you to do with what you got. Because as you learn that obedience with what you got, then God will give you, give you more. Amen. Don't think that's right. Think of the first car you ever had. First car you ever had. Probably not a real good car, right? First car. I remember the first car I had. I did not like it from the day I bought it. I did not miss it from the day it went away. So glad to get rid of that car. Only foreign car I ever bought. Only one. Datsun B210. Only reason I bought it was the only car my parents would co-sign on. And I had absolutely zero credit to my name. So I bought that. Held it on to for almost a year. Built up my credit. Once I got to the point where they said, Oh, we'll give you a loan by yourself. It was gone. It's out of here. I got myself a Ford. And then got rid of that sucker. Never did miss it. But as, just think about that old beat-up car. As you took care of that old beat-up car, the same way you'll take care of a new one. Mm-hmm. Learn, to, learn to take care of it. Learn to take care of what you got. Anyway, where we leave off at? 13? 12. So he tells the story. I'm gathering a few sticks and I may go and prepare it for myself my son. We may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Now, this would be a hard thing. I tell you, a lot of us would have a hard time doing this. We would have... I'll bet you Elijah may be even struggling with this. God, do you really... I'm supposed to do this? God says, say it. Say it. Do you care about her? Well, yeah, I don't want her and her son to die. Say it. 
<laughs> I don't know if that conversation went on, but you know, it could have. It could have. If he struggled with it, God says, you need to say it. She needs to do this thing. If she doesn't do this thing, I can't take care of all of you. Now, it's not a step of faith for Elijah to take her meal and make a cake from. It's her step of faith. And she's got to do this first. It's important. It's not, she can't make three cakes. He says, first off, go and make me a cake from it first. Go over there. Make it up. Bring it on back here. And then go back. And then go back and make the rest of them up. That's what he's supposed to do. That's the order of things. And so, um, she did it. Now, it says that God commanded her. We don't know how God commanded her. I don't know if God gave her a dream. I don't know if God spoke to her in her spirit. I don't know if a prophet came along. The, I don't know how it is that God spoke to her. And apparently, it's not important that we know. But he said, I have commanded a widow woman there to feed you. Now, maybe she thought when he gave her the request for the water, that's the command. All right, I'll go. This, I can do this. We'll get, them, we'll get them some water. But then when he pushed it a little bit further, wait, 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 hold on. Come on. Give me some food, too. <laughs> Give me some food, too. And if she would have said, okay, he would have found something else. <laughs> Bring your son. <laughs> I don't know what he would have done. But he would have, until he got to the point where it pushed. Has God ever asked you to do something where it pushed you? Yeah, it's real easy for us to do this stuff. Well, I can do that. That's no big deal. That's all right. I can, I can do that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all right. I'll give $10 here? Well, all right, well, I'll miss the $10, but I can give the $10. But when God says, no, do this. Well, wait a minute, God. <laughs> wait a minute. Hmm. Yep. What's he asking for? And it, understand, it does not have to be a lot. Sometimes we think, well, unless it's a whole lot of money, there's not much that's going to come from it. What she is being asked is something that's very little. Little, little tiny cake. That's it. By amount, by quantity, it's very little. But it's a pretty good portion of what she's got right now. And that's what God is asking. He didn't ask for all of it. But he asked for a lot of it. Go and do that first. See, sometimes... You may have all kinds of supply over here, but it's over in this area. It's over this, this spot. This is not all... All that she has to her name is not the, the um, ingredients for the cake and a little bit of water. She's got a house. Right? The house is more valuable than the little bit of food she's got left. He didn't ask anything about that, did he? She got some land. He didn't ask anything about that. He didn't say, go sell off the land. Of course, what, valuable, what value is land in a drought? Not a whole lot there, but she still had a house. He's not asking for all that. Understand, God will speak something to you, and it'll challenge you. When God speaks something, it will challenge you. It doesn't matter if it challenges the person next to you. It matters that it challenges you. And what are you going to do about it? And it's not always writing a big check, $1,000, something like that. It's... It, it sometimes it's just something, well, this is pushing me right now. I don't really have time for this. And God, you want me to, to do what? Hmm. No, don't, um, don't worry. But did you all see that thing on Facebook? Somebody had put it up. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but they put up this, this Facebook uh, thing. And this guy, he apparently goes around. He does all these, these things to test people. And he was, uh, they set up this one scenario where they had all these people in the cafeteria and they had all the food they basically wanted and 
Yeah. Can you spare me some food? Can you, anybody see that? Can you spare me some food? I'm hungry. Can you spare me some food? And all the people in the cafeteria and all the people that bought the, they, they didn't do anything. No, I, I can't spare any. can't spare any right now. And, uh, and they, they couldn't spare anything. And then what happened was two guys came on up and they found this homeless guy sleeping under a blanket. And they came up to him and they had uh, bags from a fast food place. They brought a couple of burgers and some to drink and said, hey, are you hungry? He says, yeah. Yeah, I'm hungry. He said, we, we were over to the restaurant over here, and we picked up some extra food. We thought you might like some. And there's a, there's a few burgers in there. I don't know, two, three burgers or something like that. I think it was two burgers in there, and they gave him a drink. And there's some fries. You know, God bless you. And so he's, he got up, and he's getting ready to start to, to eat this thing. And the same guy who was in the cafeteria asking the other people came over and says, I'm, I'm hungry. Do you have any food? And the guy reaches into the bag, and he pulls out the hamburger. And he says, here. He gives him one. He had one now instead of two. And the whole moral of the thing was the people who have a whole lot are generally less generous than people who have little. Wow. I'll tell you what, that's, that's something else. Well, you've got to make sure. What is God telling you to do? Just make sure that you do what God is telling you to do. If God isn't telling you to do anything, don't feel like you have to. Sometimes we do it out of guilt. You don't get a reward for doing something out of guilt. What you do get a reward for is when God says, I have commanded you, do this. This widow woman was commanded by God to feed this prophet. We don't know any of the story of how she recognized him, if she did recognize him. But she did seem to identify him with the Lord and not with one of the Baals or one of the, um, the other false gods that were around. Do not fear, go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Now, here's the word from God. For thus says the Lord God of, of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Now, at this point, she has the option to choose to believe the word from God, to believe the man of God who delivered it, or to not. She can either go home, make her cake, and die or she can choose what's behind door number two doesn't seem that she thought about it a whole lot we're not given a whole lot of discourse in here doesn't seem that Elijah has to argue with her or, or give her any more reassurances so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah now notice it calls it the word of Elijah not the word of the Lord and she and her, hus- uh, she and her household ate for many days the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. <clears throat> i put this in your outline for you. Faith that is not tested is not known. We've given you that one before. Faith that is not tested is not known. And by not known, I mean it's not known by you. Until your faith is tested, you don't know what you got. And you'll be put in situations that will test your faith. Some of them you're put into a situation by the enemy. Some of it you're put in a position by God. God put this woman in this position. Not to be in a drought. She was put in this position to trust the word that came from Elijah. That she would be taken care of. And she decided to trust it. So we know her faith is growing, right? She already had faith to to give water in a drought. And then she grew to the point where she can give water and food in a drought. 
I think I put this in your outline for you, at least it's in mine. What she gave up wasn't much, but it was all she had. And here's the most important thing. It was what God asked for. Y'all remember that story? Creflo Dollar told, I love this story. He says uh, he was going through his, his suits in his closet. And God says, uh, there was a minister downstairs, and God said to him, he says, I want you to give those three suits, I think it was three, those three suits to the, to the um, ministers downstairs. He's your size, I want you to give them those. And he looked at those, there was three favorites, three of his favorite suits. And he, did, he didn't want to give away three of his favorite suits, so he picked four other ones, I think it was, four other ones mm-hmm. that he didn't like as much, and he gave them to them instead, and he's still being bugged. God still, I, those three suits, I want you to give him those three suits. And so he went up and he gave him, finally gave in, gave him the three suits. So he's got the four suits, the three suits. He's got seven <laughs> suits now. And God says, dear Lord, I just gave away seven suits. I hardly have any suits left. He says, well, I didn't do that. I don't told you to give away three. <laughs> Sometimes we're trying to give God something different than what he's asking for. Don't give God something different than what he's asking for. Don't try and reason it out. Don't try and figure it out. What God has said, do it. Give that away. Somebody comes into your house and God says, that thing you got over there, give them that. Then give it to them. Don't worry about it. Because I'll tell you what, folks, every single time in the Word, when God's commands come and you obey, power follows. Every single time a command from God comes, people obey it, Power. Oh, I'll tell you what. When the command of God comes, it should not scare us. We should get excited. Oh, that means if I obey, what happens? Power. <laughs> power. Power gets put out on my behalf. And when power comes from God, it is a good thing. We ought to get to the point where we get excited when that kind of stuff goes on. Well, then, verse 17 happens. Now, it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Just when you think things seem to be going better, here comes the setback, right? I mean, we just we got over the part where we're going to die. And now we have provisions. We're not looking at a lot of provisions. We're just looking at every day there's enough. <laughs> every day you go in, you get the oil. It's, it's not full. It's never full. Miracles are always just enough. How much manna did they collect in the wilderness? Just enough. How much did they have when they crossed the Jordan and they were in the promised land? Abundance. More than enough. The blessings of God provide more than enough. Miracles provide just enough. Go through the Word of God and look for yourself. Every time there is a miracle by God, it is just to supply the need. But the blessings of God come. And it's more than the need. How did Abraham become rich? Because of a miracle of God? No, he operated in the blessings of God. Operating the blessings, a whole lot better place than the miracles. But there are times when you need a miracle. This lady needed a miracle. She got one. But he said, up until the time, when? When rain falls. When rain falls, that's not going to happen anymore. You're going to be able to get your stuff through the blessings instead of a miracle. But anyway, we're going on through day to day. We're going day to day. We're, we're not having enough for a week. We've got enough for today. Tomorrow we have enough for that day, just like it was in the wilderness. 
But as soon as something bad happens, even though we are seeing God's supernatural provision all the way around, when something bad happens, what do we begin to focus on? (laughs) Me. Our sin, our guilt, our morality, or mortality. That, um, (laughs) yeah, he died. I guess I'm going to die. We begin thinking on all these kind of things. We don't need to do that. We don't need to to be that way. Instead of Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' worthiness, I'm thinking that I am unrighteous and I'm thinking that I am unworthy. But God has been showing up in her house every day to multiply the oil, multiply the flour. Every day it has been multiplied. Every time they go and make a meal, it gets multiplied again. Every time. But our thinking gets set on sin. Our thinking gets set on our mortality. Instead of Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' worthiness, through whom I am made what? Righteous. And through whom I am made worthy. You are not made worthy because of your works. But this woman comes to him and says, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Really? That's what you're going to think? Your son was going to be dead how long ago? And now you think because this happened? Well, he did die get mad at people, start blaming God, especially when babies die. It's ridiculous. God doesn't take them. God does not need them up in heaven. It amazes me. God has a need like that. Are you? What kind of God do you serve? Well, I needed another little kid up in heaven. I've got millions, but I just needed another one. Really? Is that the kind of God you serve? Who is it that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Satan. And why does God get blamed for it? Well, it's the easiest one to blame. And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Elijah is getting on this act. And he stretched himself out and the child three times. And cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Well, at least he got out of the other prayer. That other prayer was no good. But he got back into this. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. The the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. Notice, it says the Lord heard when he said this other prayer, there was a faith prayer, not the one that was before. And what did he answer? The stuff that was in the faith prayer. And his soul came back to him. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. <laughs> See, there you go. He, now, I like what Elijah did. He doesn't try and defend God. He doesn't try and uh, defend God out of this whole thing. She's blaming God. He doesn't try and defend God. He just, you know, give me the son. He just walks off. How many times do you feel like you have to defend God? It is not your job to defend God. Don't feel like that. He's a big God. He'd take care of himself. There is no one out there that you can defend him from better than he can defend himself. Look what happened to people in the Old Testament. They rose up against God. What does God do? Opens up the earth, sends down fire. You can't do any of that. God can defend himself plenty well. Don't worry about defending God. Don't feel like you have to defend God. Just proclaim the Word of God. Do the Word of God. Lay hands on the sick. Do the things that the Word of God says to do. Don't worry about defending God. Let him do it himself. Follow Elijah's example in that. So Elijah doesn't try to defend God. He just takes the problem to God. People got problems. Don't defend what God, what they think God did. Just 
Hey, take the problem to God. And the woman said to Elijah, oh, this is such a verse. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. Really? Every day the oil being multiplied? Really? Every day the flour being multiplied? Miracles do not bring faith. They do not bring faith. They will not bring faith. God knows that miracles will not bring faith. How many miracles did the children of Israel see to get them out of the land of Egypt? Did it bring them faith? At the first sign of calamity, what do they do? God brought us out here to kill us. The Red Sea parts. They walked through on dry ground. They get on the other side. They, they hit adversity. What do they do? God brought us out here to kill us. <laughs> Miracles will not bring faith. Remember Jesus was talking to people and uh, talks about Lazarus at the gate and the, the rich man. And the rich man says, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want my brothers to come on out here. Uh, send Lazarus back. That they see somebody come from the dead, surely they'll, they'll believe him. Send Lazarus back. Let him, let him uh, be a witness. And the Lord says in the parable, hey, you can send people back from the dead. They're not going to believe. They're not going to believe. Capernaum. Oh, Capernaum, Capernaum. If the miracles that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Miracles will not bring faith. How many of you know people that God did a miracle in their life and they walked away from God? Amen. Because miracles will not bring faith. Relationship does. Getting into His Word. Having fellowship with the Father. That's what brings faith. Miracles will not. Now that by this I know that you are a man of God. And that the, the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. For today, for today, right? But tomorrow something else might happen. What are you going to do? Can't believe you came here to bring me all this problem. Remind me of my sin. Now here's the effect. Here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to change your, your focus. He wants to change your focus. There are two things we can get into. We can get into faith, which is what Elijah is in most of the story. Once in a while he fell off of it, but most of the time he's in faith. And it, or the woman, we can get what the woman is and looks at, look at the works. Faith focuses on, these are things we've given you before. I didn't have a place to write them there. You, you probably remember them all, but you can write them down somewhere if you can squeeze them in. Faith focuses on what I am to do, where I am to go, and what I am called, what, what I am to call for. That's what faith focuses on. What I am to do, what I, where I am to go, what I am to call for. Elijah, go to the brook. Elijah, go to the woman, the widow woman. Go make me a cake. Right? Go and do something. That's what, the, that's what faith focuses on. What has God commanded me to do? What has God told me to do? That's what faith focuses on. Works focuses on what I have done, what I have been through, and what I have sacrificed. Other things too, but you get the idea. Works focuses on what I have done. When we pray to God, Oh God, heal me of this because look at what I have done. Look at what I have endured. That's works. You don't need anybody else to place you. You are in a works mentality. You're believing God supposedly for a miracle, but you are in a works mentality. It's all what you have done, what you have been through. Father God, I have suffered so much. 
Look at what I have done for you. Look at how I have served you. It's a works mentality. Another way to put it, space direction is from where I am and future. Listen to your words. Faith direction is from where I am now and into the future. Works is always focused on the past. Real simple to just keep that tense in mind. Works is always focused on the past. If in your prayers you discuss what you have done, you are more than likely in works. If you focus on what God has said and what you will do, or what he will do, what he has promised, there's faith. Faith direction is where I am in future. Works is from the past. It's all in the past. Faith looks ahead. Works looks behind. What does the woman do when the son dies? She looks behind. What does she do when she's in faith? Go make me a cake and then go back and make one for yourself, for your son. And here's the word of the Lord. See, her vision was forward. Where's your vision? Where's your focus? Is it on what you have done? Or is it where God is taking you? That'll tell you right there. Faith or works? Real easy to place you. It's not hard. Father, I thank you for the examples you give us in your word. I thank you that we can place ourselves whether we are in faith or whether we are in works. And in works, Father, the word of God doesn't have good things to say about that. Our mind frame will be not good. Father, when we get ourselves in faith and we're thinking about what we are going to do, we get the, the, the attitude of a conqueror. We become like Caleb. Give me that mountain. I'll take it. Become like Joshua. We can go into land. We can conquer this place. But Father, not like the children of Israel. Oh, the things we had back in Egypt. We look, we look behind. We fall in the works. We keep our eyes ahead. We stay in the area of faith. Thank you, Father, for keeping us in the arena of faith, in the place of faith, and letting us know when we have fallen out, gone after works, for we won't have success there. We give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.